If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's completely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, everyone, welcome to Strictly Sports. I am Jacob Brown, joined here with CJ Uri and Steve Cashin. Uh, we got sports back, guys. This is Season 2, Episode 2. I wanted to start last week with Season 2, Episode 1, because it was games are back. I wanted to end Season 1. If you want to go look at that, that's all the sports combos we had without any games. But now we're back to the good stuff. Baseball's back, at least for now. NBA's back Thursday. NHL scrimmages start today uh, with the real stuff happening on Saturday. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about, and also the English Premier League finished. And uh, I'll cut this out if Jensen doesn't come on. But Jensen Jennings is, might come on the pod today to talk about his realignment article in the University Press. Uh, so let's start today. How you guys doing? We got sports back, and I know you guys have been betting all weekend. Tell me about how you guys have been betting. Uh, it's been a good weekend. Uh, you know, baseball's back. I've been getting into those one-inning bets like CJ got me on last year, and it's been it's been a fun one. Saturday was was a bad day, but Sunday we we bounced back on the last day, and you know it was exciting to watch baseball. Put some money on it, and uh, now we got NBA coming up here in a few days, and NHL's back this coming weekend, and it's in full swing now. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna stop the. Um... No score first inning, and I'm just going to start betting score first inning. But what that ends up meaning is that tonight there will be no score first inning across the board. That's just the way it works. But, um, you know, last week I had uh, on the first day of MLB baseball, I did well with the Yankees and the Dodgers games. And then the second day I hit a parlay and then seven of my eight straight bets, and I went up money. And then somehow – Sunday night, and I found myself in in a, a pit of misery. So, baseball is hot and cold. I'm just very excited for basketball and NHL this week, so that I have things that I'm much more knowledgeable about to bet, and they're way more predictable. Baseball is the most unpredictable sport to bet, <sighs> but it's good. It's good to have sports back. I was really enjoying baseball this weekend. I'm not the biggest baseball guy, and I have been. Very, very negative when it comes to how they've handled the Astros cheating, COVID-19, how their players have dealt with this new deal and everything. But I had a great time watching, and um, I was all in on the Marlins until they decided that they were going to infect the entire league. (laughs) Yeah, that was rough. I mean, you know, now they postponed a few games. We'll get into that later. But the big stuff, NBA is back this week. Um, We got two games on Thursday. We got Jazz Pelicans. And a big one, Lakers-Clippers. I think those are going to be really fun games. So basically how it's going to work, they're going to finish up the regular season with a pool of teams. The bottom eight teams in the league, we haven't heard this confirmed yet, but they're probably going to go play in Chicago. You know, those eight teams that are at the bottom of the standings, you know, just to get some work in. But the main 22 teams are in Orlando right now to play these games. And they're starting with two on Thursday. So I guess we could talk about those games first. We got Jazz Pelicans. Uh, Zion is not confirmed to play yet uh, because I believe he left the bubble, came back, so he has to quarantine and be completely fine 
before he plays. So let's just talk about it. If Zion's playing, who do you guys have winning that game? Because Jazz Pelicans is a really good matchup. I like Utah a lot. They're the number four seed in the league. They got totally disrespected. Um, you know, to me, you look at their stats. They have one of the best three-point percentages in the league uh, in terms of total team percentage, which might shock you because you look at their roster and it's like, well, Gobert's not really a three-point shooter. Conley's not really a three-point shooter. But when you look at Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovich, they've got some guys that can shoot the three, and we all know they're elite defensively. My only question with them is, you know, we ha- we had that whole beef when all COVID went down, Gobert and Mitchell – you know, they were mad at each other because Gobert probably ended up giving Mitchell the virus from being, let's just face it, he was being an idiot. So I'm sure they've kind of passed on that, probably ready to go and win. But, you know, I'm a little bit worried about that chemistry. I'm probably picking Jazz in this game. What about you guys? Um, so that's a good question. I think it's going to be the better of the two games between the Lakers, Clippers, and Jazz Pels. Um because the Lakers and Clippers have a clear foothold on, you know, one and two. And, it's, you know, I think at the end of the day, they're just going to they're going to end up being matched up in the Western Conference final anyway. I think the, the Pelicans are, are really fighting to get into the playoffs here. And the Jazz are looking to hit a good form going into the playoffs. But to be honest, I think I'm going to go with the Pelicans here just because of desperate basketball. They're, they're playing, um, you know, when you go into these games and you are – already a few games out of the playoffs and there's only eight regular season games remaining you're basically playing like you're down 3-0 in a series down 3-1 down 3-2 in an elimination game every game it's desperate desperate basketball you can't afford to go on a two-game losing streak you can't afford to be in a slump so I think the Pelicans are going to come out firing here and I actually think it's going to be a really close game and I'm going to say Pelicans well I mean you know it's not a bad pick though because when you look at them when Zion came back you know, you can look at that roster. Obviously, Zion, you have Brandon Ingram, who's lit up the league this year. Lonzo's actually not that bad this year. He's been a pretty good ball mover. Obviously, the shooting's a problem, but he's been better at driving, better at mid-range. We all know the three-point game. You know, he's been better at it, that's for sure, but that's not his strength. Um, you know, you look at that roster, you still have uh, other guys on there, too. J.J. Redick is a great shooter. He kind of plays on and off. Derek Favors is a nice defensive body. Uh, so I like their roster in total, too. They have a lot of good players. And I think, you know, when you have a totality of good players on your roster, I think that can overmatch. But again, Utah defensively is pretty damn good. And, you know, best three point one of the best three point percentages in the league. So that goes goes pretty unnoticed. And, you know, I've looked at the Jazz roster in total and said, you know, they might give the Lakers trouble in a series. They might give the Clippers trouble. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Pelicans are a lot more desperate right now. The Jazz don't even have to win this game. They can go through these eight games, kind of getting their rhythm back before the playoffs. So, yeah, it could go either way. But when you look at Lakers-Clippers, this is going to be where it's really interesting because I've been really high on the Clippers for a while, uh, especially because Avery Bradley opted out for the Lakers. This, to me, is a big deal. He was one of their best three-point percentage uh, shooters, one of their best defensive players, and they end up replacing him with J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, which, okay, yeah, Dion dropped 18 yesterday. JR dropped 20 yesterday, but it was in a scrimmage. So who knows how these guys are going to come back and perform after long periods of time without playing. I just look at that Lakers roster. It's LeBron, AD, and kind of everyone else. It's kind of just a bunch of complimentary players. But when you look at the Clippers, you got Kawhi and Paul George fully rested. You have two centers with Harrell and Zubak. You have Lou Williams, who, hey, we, we know the story with that. You know, he said he was going out and getting chicken wings, but we all know that's not what he was doing. 
who knows if he's playing or not, but Patrick Beverly's on that roster, great defensive point guard. I mean, th- also uh, Marcus Morris. This is a loaded roster for the Clippers. Uh, I think they're going to win this game, and I actually think they're going to go to the NBA Finals. What about you? I mean, I think that that's all valid. I think the the loss of uh, Avery Bradley, like you said, is definitely going to be a big dent in uh, the Lakers' plans uh, because I, I feel like, you know, for the casual fan and most people that just pay attention to the media and, you know, Fox Sports, ESPN, I mean, people really just talk about the LeBron and AD show, but you got to have a full starting five out there that's contributing in some way to win, especially when you're playing against the Clippers who are deep like that. So I'm going to wait on my prediction for who's going to get to the finals out of the West until I see this game on Thursday and I see how the Lakers are going to operate a point guard. Um, who knows? They might be fine. I mean, who knows? They might not skip a beat without Avery Bradley, but I do feel like Avery Bradley's a great defender, and I feel like he is a guy that they could look to to make one or two big shots during the game, uh, you know, for the first three quarters. Obviously, quarter four, you're looking at AD LeBron having the ball in their hands, but um for thursday i do like the clippers to win um but overall i don't know who i have in the finals just yet i need to watch uh going forward all right what about the east though because you know this is going to be a really interesting conference there's a lot of teams that are there obviously milwaukee number one uh but to me i think a real dark horse is the boston celtics they're also a lot like the clippers a really deep roster obviously jalen brown and jason tatum you have good centers there with uh, Cantor and Thice. Uh, you have Gordon Hayward, who's actually come back and played really well. Of course, Kemba Walker. Um, I think they're a really deep roster, and I think in the regular season, sometimes teams like that, you know, they kind of just sit there in the woods, you know, just looking up at the rest of the teams. But when I, I think when they get into these playoff games, they have a great head coach in Brad Stevens who knows how to win. Um, you know, when I look at the Bucks, it's like, okay, Giannis is great. And but he's really he's going to need Chris Middleton to play last year. Chris Middleton struggled a lot in the playoffs. So when I look at this year, I say, well, I look at the Celtics and I know that most of those players are probably going to perform. I look at Milwaukee, though, and it's like, okay, well, if Giannis doesn't have Middleton, who's he going to rely on Bledsoe or, you know, DiVincenzo at shooting guard or, you know, I don't know who's going to be on Brooke Lopez. So, you know, the Bucks are great. They dominated the NBA. But, you know, there's the Celtics sitting there and even the Heat, who have a really deep roster. And obviously, CJ, you're a Heat fan. Who, who do you think is coming out of the East? Or, or who, who are your contenders in the East if you don't want to pick who's coming out? I think the top four teams in the East are all three are all four contenders. I think, obviously, the, the clear choice, if you were a betting man, would be the Bucks that come out of the East. But I genuinely believe that in a seven-game series, if the Bucks played the Raptors, Celtics, or Heat, which is going to happen— it's going to go six or seven games. These teams are deep. The East teams are good defensively, and they've, they've got sneaky good players. Now, something that I genuinely believe, and I'm not trying to be biased here, uh, is I feel like the Heat are going to get into this bubble. Uh, like they're Obviously, they're already in the bubble, but I think the Heat are going to start this uh, project restart with the, with the regular season. I think they're going to go like six and two. Um, seven and one type deal, and I think they're going to really run the table here, and I think they're going to get up to the the third seed, um, and leapfrog the Celtics. Ooh, and then I think that you're going to see the Bucks Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that the Miami Heat are the Bucks' clear, most clear contenders in a seven game series because they genuinely can defend, uh, Gian- Giannis, and I think that the Miami Heat not only can the team defend, but I think they've got three individual players that can defend Giannis. I think 
that Bam, Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder alone can can defend. And I think if you put Jimmy Butler on him, that's at least competitive. I know Jimmy Butler will be a little bit outmatched in terms of length, but um, Jimmy Butler is an ex- exceptional defender. And then, you know, when you look at it, the Miami Heat have shooters. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is in the Western Conference Finals, uh, I think it's going to be the Bucks and the Heat. Um, now, I'm not going to go full bias and say the Heat are going to make the finals. I think my favorite to go to the finals would be the Bucks, but I genuinely believe the Bucks in the semifinals and the finals are going to go six to seven games, both series, because the Celtics and the Raptors and the Heat can all push the Bucks pretty far. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because, you know, the Heat are another team. They just go underrated. No one really thinks about them because they're in Miami. You know, they don't have a big star. I mean, Jimmy Butler's great. Bam's great. But they don't get that attention that other teams get because they don't have that Giannis-type player yet. Um, you know, they have a lot of B-plus, A-minus players. But, yeah, I mean, you look at Hero. You look at Nunn. Uh, you look at Robinson. Robinson's been fantastic, by the way. If just two of them get hot in a series, that's a big deal. You know, I mean, I don't think the Bucks have anyone – at the three-point line that can really match those guys. Giannis can't shoot threes. Uh, you know, Bledsoe's pretty good. DiVincenzo's pretty good. Wesley Matthews pretty good. But none of them are at the level that Hero and Robinson are at for sure. So I, I can definitely see what you're saying. But, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at stars, Giannis is obviously the best player. Usually the best player gets to the finals, especially in the East. We saw LeBron eight straight years get to the finals. It's kind of the same deal here. Although I, I would always say, you know, LeBron had way more support than Giannis does right now. Obviously, he had Bosch and Wade with Miami. He had Kyrie and Love in Cleveland. So Giannis doesn't really have that. So he's a little bit more beatable, in my opinion. But now shift the conversation to this. Who's the MVP? Uh, Because a lot of people have been debating this for a few weeks now. LeBron came out, basically said, you know, hey, uh, I switched to the West to prove that I can do it in the West, too. Aren't I MVP? You know, basically begging for attention and, you know, kind of trying to discredit Giannis from being in the East. Although you really look at the East, the East is just as deep as the West is now. Um, but who's your MVP, guys? Because, you know, I'd personally go Giannis because he doesn't have as much support and they've been wrecking the league. LeBron's got AD. So I got Giannis as MVP. What about you? Um, I'm not going to go. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to go LeBron. And I'm going LeBron because he's actually the assist per game leader in the NBA wow. at his age his season this whatever season number this is for him he's gone over to the west he doesn't play point guard the guy is just incredible and the fact that he's leading the league in assists over all those unbelievable point guards and shooting guards that facilitate the ball lebron james is facilitating the ball better than anyone right now and he's got his team in pole position to make the finals and he's still scoring in a great amount of points what, what is his points per game um right now let me look it up really quick hold on yeah, we'll pull that up for you. But yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. I mean, you know, he's he's not even a point guard, and he's, you know, he's he's great at passing. He basically acts as a point guard, even though he doesn't play that. I, I think he started the season as a point guard, uh, but then when Bradley got hot, they started putting him at point guard, kind of shifting Kuzma out of the lineup because, you know, we know there's been a little bit of a mini beef there between Kuzma and LeBron. But what are the what are the uh, points per game? Uh, LeBron's averaging 20, 20, 25.7 and then 10.6 assists, and then. Oh. If you look at boards, eight boards a game. I mean, look, I, I know that Giannis is having a freak season, but the fact that LeBron is at his age, his this amount of se- this this number season, and leading the league in assists, I think is enough for me to say, LeBron James, you are my MVP. 
Yeah, I mean, Giannis is at 29.6 a game, 13.7 rebounds, 5.8 assists. But, yeah, LeBron's basically averaging a triple-double almost per game, which got Russell Westbrook the MVP a few years ago. I really, I don't think there's a wrong choice. You know, a lot of people have said, too, look, LeBron's been robbed of a few MVPs, too. So, you know, why don't we give him another one just to kind of say, okay, you know, you're the best player in the league. Let's actually give you an award to say you're the best player in the league. I don't think he's won an MVP since 2012, which is, you know, absolutely ridiculous how that hasn't happened uh, going to the finals every single year. So, you know, interesting conversation there. So now we'll shift over to baseball. Came back this weekend. I had a lot of fun. Yankees took two out of three in Washington. Um, hated Saturday night. We lost nine to two. I told CJ to bet on the Yankees, and uh, the Yankees absolutely shit the bed that night. But uh, it was a good series overall for them. Um, you know, they didn't have Chapman. But, you know, the reason why I think the Yankees did a good job in that series is because the Nats lost Juan Soto. Strasburg was scratched, even though they didn't win that game. Um, you know, they still found a way to take two out of three against that team. Defending champs took advantage of the fact that they didn't have Soto in the lineup and won those two out of three. And uh, another team that I really like this weekend, Steve, San Diego Padres. Uh, we were high on them. They went three and one against Arizona, who we were looking at Arizona, and they're pretty equal in terms of power. You know, they've got a pretty equal lineup. Uh, rotation is pretty much even there. Uh, with, I'd probably give the slight edge to San Diego. San Diego better bullpen, but hey, San Diego looked really damn good this weekend. Yeah, that was out of all the teams that I was keeping an eye on all weekend was the Padres, and they they really should have gone four and zero to be honest with you. I think it was Sunday night or Sunday afternoon. They were up, they were up three nothing, and they ended up losing that game four three. Uh, bullpen gives up a couple late late runs in the eighth and ninth, but that. That Padres lineup, Hosmer, Machado, Tommy Pham looked good this weekend. Tatis, that guy was flying around the base pass. So that, to me, has been the most complete team out of the first four days if we're take, talking about the best team through opening week. But I also took away a lot of things, too, with the Blue Jays. They they should have taken two out of three from Tampa, and the Rays had no business winning on Sunday. And the Blue Jays, they had 30 hits throughout three games. And last night, didn't miss a beat. Jumped all over the defending champs, four to one, three, four home runs in that game last night. And the pitching was also solid as well. And and the Yankees, too, they, they look pretty solid, taking two out of three, like you said, from from the Nats as well. It's what you need to do in the season early. And when when you look at a 60-game set, you've got to be going six and four minimum in 10-game stretches. And that's the bottom line. And that's, if you're taking two out of three every every series and every stretch, you're going to be set to to make the playoffs and be the top two teams in each division. Yeah, and, you know, two teams that struggled that we were pretty high on, though. You know, the White Sox, uh, I watched Giolito start. He got absolutely shelled in the first inning. Kepler with a first-pitch cock shot to right center, and then he hit a second one later in the game. Uh, you know, Giolito, man, we were talking about that White Sox rotation. If Giolito is not on they're in huge trouble because you cannot rely on Dallas Keuchel. And now Carlos Rodon is back, which is actually a positive sign. He's been up and down with injuries, but you you cannot go with that rotation. I, I know they have a deadly lineup, but you're almost talking about a Red Sox situation here where they've got a great lineup too, but the rotation is Orioles level bad. So if Giolito is not good, big problems for the White Sox. Yeah, he did not look good either. You texted me, and I wasn't really watching. I was watching more of the, the Yankees 
play, and I turn that game on for a second, and he's getting absolute – everything's over the plate. Nothing's getting spotted up, and these hitters are jumping all over in that Twins lineup. Like we said, if you can't dial it in and you can't hit your spots against that team, they you'll see a 14 spot with 15 hits. That team's not going to miss. That team is too deep to really mess around, and if your bullpen and your starting rotation is not on point – they're going to do exactly what they did to the White Sox all year round. But going back to the White Sox, that starting rotation really, really kind of scares me. They, Keuchel isn't the guy we saw in Houston when he was really spotting it up as well. So there's two spots right there, Giolito and Keuchel. If they don't step up, this team can get buried early, and that's not a good sign for Chicago, who we had high remarks on making the playoffs this year. Yes, the offense can carry at certain points. It's very early, but... In this short stretch, like we said, I can't harp it enough, is if you don't start off hot, it's going to be a struggle to get back with teams that are really playing good baseball and teams that are getting hot early. Yeah, and the Reds, too. They dropped two out of three to the Tigers. Uh, You you can't do that. You just flat out can't do that in a season like this. Moustakas now is also on the IL. So not a great start. I think Iglesias blew a save last night. We've been on the train of Amir Garrett closing. I mean, he throws gas out of the pen. The only problem with him is he had five walks per nine, so you don't like that out of the closer's role. But Iglesias is not special. I think they should give Amir a chance. But, I mean, you line up against the Tigers, Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, and Trevor Bauer, and you lose two out of three, can't do that, period. Yeah, that hurt. For that Reds team, to me, that's not demoralizing, but in a first three-game set against the Tigers, who is going to be one of the bottom teams in the league that we projected in MLB even project them to have, I think, barely tw- over just over 20 wins, if that. And you have a good night on op- on opening day. You win 7-1. You come back Saturday, lose 6-4. Sunday, you lose 3-2. And then last night, you give up a six spot to the Cubs. And if you're looking at the schedule, too, the, t- the Tigers, those are must-win games. And then you're going and playing the Cubs, who and have just as good of an offense and a rotation. Those are going to be tough games to win against those kind of teams. So the Tigers and those matchups, you those are must-win games. And if you want to be a playoff team and be a contender, you can't be dropping games to the Detroits of the world, the Kansas City Royals, the Pirates. Those are must-win games. And the start of the season, the Reds haven't uh, taken advantage of what they have on their roster. Yeah, and, you know, I also like to point out that the Red Sox had a terrible weekend as well. Um just music to my ears. Sadly, the Astros were three and one, um, but it was just good. You know, the, the Astros shame tour account on Twitter, just every time Bregman or Altuve strikes out, it's on my Twitter feed and it's fun. Cause, you know, I'm not going to say this. Okay. But a lot of their strikeouts are on pitches outside of the strike zone. I'm just saying they struggled. They struggled though this weekend. Don't, don't let that record deceive you though. With Houston, they were down last night, early three, nothing. And that the Mariners pitching just couldn't keep up with them. In that series, Seattle, they well, they won 8-2 the first night, came back. They took three out of four. I mean, that's not going to give them a hard time, but they were struggling. They was a lot closer than it, what those scores indicated at the end. Astros pulled away with that offense. Altuve, Bregman, they broke the door open, uh, which is what that team should be doing against that kind of team. But that pitching did struggle. And losing Verlander this past weekend, too, it's going to be a big hit for that, that Astros team to bounce back from that. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm upset that Verlander uh, got injured. I mean, I don't really like the guy. I mean, he I called him the biggest hypocrite in the sport. Uh, this is a guy who last year at the All-Star game, even though he was, I think he started the All-Star game, 
had the audacity to complain about juice balls when, you know, he's a World Series champion and has no reason to complain, while at the same time his team was cheating and stealing signs. So really don't feel bad for him. Now, there was a report that, you know, maybe that he would miss the whole season. He came out and said, no, it's just a forearm strain. They're shutting me down for two weeks. But at 37 years old, when you've already had an arm injury and it's a forearm strain in a short season, you know, he's at bare minimum probably going to miss five, six, seven starts. And when you're only making 12 starts in a season, that's a big deal. Now they really only have Granke and everyone else. You know, McCullers is okay. After that, they don't really have much. Maybe they call up Forrest Whitley, their prospect. You know, Astros could be in deep shit if, if Verlander can't come back soon. Yeah, and I don't think he will be coming back. I don't know what the extent of the injury is. They said a forearm strain, but I thought I read something. I thought they said he tore something in his arm. Could be wrong, but if something ends up being seriously wrong with Verlander, that could be setting him with the season starting so late. You could be talking setbacks for next season as well. So yeah. a guy being 37 years old, having a great career so far, and this year he was looking to really solidify that backing up what he did last year, keep it rolling through the age of 40 and looking to retire, go off into the sunset. Now talk about an uphill battle uh, coming back this, if he doesn't come back this season, next year is going to be uh, a lot of adversity for him. But um, one thing I want to notice too, all these pitchers getting hurt. Um, Kluber was out at least four weeks shut down with a torn shoulder. Uh, something in his, the back of his shoulder is uh, torn. And uh, who else got a, who else is out? Poche for the Rays, out for the season with an arm injury. And I, there was one more player that I saw this weekend that tore his arm up. But these injuries, though, for pitchers, I think you're going to see more and more guys getting hurt just because they haven't had the spring training. Bottom line, these guys haven't built their arms up. And I respect guys that are only going three or four innings to start off this opening weekend to save their, their health and looking out for their future. Yeah, I mean, that that is going to be something that baseball is going to have to really track, not just for the pitchers, but for the hitters, too. You know, they didn't get that time to stretch out. You might see more hamstring pulls, you know, running to first base, uh, a lot of muscle injuries. So teams are really going to have to be careful with how they manage that this year. All right, so actually we're going to go to the English Premier League now. It finished up on Saturday or Sunday, I think. Uh, Manchester United, CJ and I's team, they made it number three. Uh, CJ, you're the expert on this stuff. Uh, Champions League starting August 7th. How's it all going to go down? Um, so the Premier League ended up uh, a really good finish here. Obviously, Liverpool had already won the trophy about a couple weeks ago. Uh, they had an unbelievable season. I hate them, but they had an unbelievable season. Um, so to round out, we had Manchester City at two, which I think that they're the favorites to, to win it next year. Uh, Manchester United at three. They ended up finishing top three not top four, which is huge. They were above Chelsea, even though they had the same points. They were above Chelsea on goal differential. Now, what kind of made me sad was Leicester City, just outside of Champions League. They'll be playing Europa League. Um, Leicester City, great tale of a club that was basically not a very rich club, not a very, um, not a very successful club in the top flight. They ended up winning the Premier League in 2016. They've stayed in the top flight since. And they this year they were top three, top four for months. And they were looking at Champions League football, which is huge for a club like that. The amount of money and revenue you get just for playing Champions League football, massive. They ended up bottling the last couple weeks of the season. They let Chelsea and United stay in the top four. They finished out just outside at five. So they'll be playing Europa League, which is still very good for them. Europa League is 
uh, basically tier two of European football. So they'll be playing a bunch of other good teams that were just outside of the Champions League. And then to round out the top six, if you will, um, the top six in, in England are Liverpool, City, United, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal. Those are technically the top six clubs. But Arsenal had an awful season finishing eighth. Tottenham did not have a good season at all, finishing sixth. Um, so that's that. And then in the FA Cup, we will have Chelsea and Arsenal this Sunday, which is a trophy game. Great game. It's a North, it's a, not North London, but it's a, it's a London rivalry, uh, uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea. So it should be a fierce game. Um, so that's big. That's a silverware game. But Champions League, I think you're going to see um, some unbelievable games. You get the top teams from France, England, Spain, uh, Germany playing against each other, and we're at the knockout stages at this point. I think that uh, Manchester City are going to go on and win Champions League. I think you're going to see Real Madrid make a run. I think you're going to see. Um, I think you're going to see Lyon. I think the best. If I, if for anyone watching uh, or, or listening, if you're going to be watching Champions League, I think the the fixture to watch when Champions League starts is going to be Lyon versus Juventus. Juventus basically had a cakewalk through Italy this year. Uh, they won uh, the they won the the trophy. Only one team came close. So since Project Restart, they haven't had any hard games. But Lyon is a great team, and I think that this that that's going to be a fixture where there's going to be some goals and some drama at the end. So that's that's what I think about it. But we'll have more for everyone after the first week of Champions League football. Yeah, for sure. And uh, are you following MLS at all, or is that? <sighs> No, and I, the thing is, is it's not. I, I kind of have. I don't have anything against the, the MLS, but I have. I have a lot against the U.S. Men's National Team. I love watching the U.S. Men's National Team, but the problem is, is they fired Jurgen Klinsmann, who promoted in in their within their club or in the club within the program. Go play in Europe. Go get out of America and go play in better football uh, divisions, better better soccer divisions. And this new regime has promoted staying home and playing the MLS, which the MLS is an absolute joke. So that what ends up happening is that we get to the national stage and get absolutely trounced by any other country because Americans only have players that play in America, which the MLS is easily bottom of the top divisions in in America, in the world. So, but no, I haven't really been paying too much attention to MLS. I can't stand watching it. It's not good soccer. It's it's just, yeah, but I haven't been watching it, but maybe I'll watch the, the, the playoff, the final. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I haven't really been paying attention much to it either. It's just, uh, you know, like I, I just like watching more legit soccer, I guess you could say, like you said, you know, MLS is kind of just a step down, almost like minor leagues, you know, so, so it's, it's just not as appealing. I've had fun with the premier league though. It was really fun to watch getting into man U a little bit, figuring out how it works. And, uh, yeah, I mean, by next year, this time, Hopefully I'm, I'm with you guys on that level of knowing uh, English Premier League champions, all that stuff. Um, so, Steve, you got anyone in the Premier League? Uh, no, nah, I've really been keeping up with it, to be honest. I've been more – I've been sticking to baseball and, and hockey. Just been That's my bread and butter right now. I haven't really uh, – disappointing I haven't gotten into soccer as much, but just because of the layoff, I haven't really been keeping up so with it too much. But Crystal Palace, I've been watching uh, a lot of their soccer lately, but – that's basically because one of my buddies, him, he got me onto there that that club. So, um, not too much for soccer side for me. Yeah. Right. So Friday uh, on Friday the seventh of August, uh, Manchester City plays Real Madrid, two giant clubs. It's going to be a really wow. good game. 
And then on Saturday, you have Bayern Munich, the biggest club in Germany, playing Chelsea, which is one of the biggest clubs in England. So these are things to watch. And then Barcelona plays Napoli, which is one of the bigger clubs in Italy. Um, And then, you know, Barcelona is obviously Barcelona. So this is that's the allure of Champions League. You get matchups that you you would never see because they're from different countries. Right. That's why when you qualify and you're on the biggest stage, more money deals, more TV deals and all that. That's like you qualify for Champions League football. It's it makes finances and everything a thing of the past. So that's, you know, to educate people on why finishing top three or top four in your country means the world to your treasury, to your finances, to recruiting players. Nobody wants to play for a team that's not going to be playing Champions League football if you're a top player. So that's that's talking soccer. All right. So uh, let's get on the phone now with Jensen Jennings. All right, so we're on here with Jensen Jettings, the sports editor of the University Press. Uh, we had him on our Milwaukee Brewers season preview. Um, glad to have you back on again, Jen- again Jensen. How are you doing today? Uh, doing good. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, of course. Uh, your Brewers came back last night against the Pirates. Yeah, it was, it was clutch getting the, the hit from uh, Ryan Braun in the DH spot, actually. Worked out in our favor. Oh, yeah. Hey, he, he said before the season, he's like, hey, I want a DH, and hey, he's panning out already. Yeah, I'm slowly coming around to it, but it'll take but, some time. Hey, but uh, I, I was talking shit to you about winning fantasy, but I've had the unluckiest week against you this week. I think I'm losing by 100. It's fucking pissing me off. Yeah, well, it doesn't help that Verlander went out for me, so hopefully he oh. comes back all right. Oh, I was wondering who had Verlander. That sucks. Yeah. All right, so we're... Uh, we also talked about the uh, Milwaukee Bucks earlier. CJ said that the Heat are going to be their team again. They're going to face each other in the Eastern Conference Final. Um, he's uh, away on the call right now. He'll be back in a few minutes. But what do you think with the Bucks? Because, I mean, we all think they're the favorite to go to the finals. I'm assuming you think that too. Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, again, I'm slightly biased, but I just don't see anybody in the East that can really compete with them. Yeah, so uh, let's get into this article here. Uh, you wrote an article a few weeks ago for the University Press. Uh, you know, I don't want to summarize it for you. That's what you're here for. Uh, you talked about the Sun Belt Conference and the Conference USA merging uh, because of everything going on with COVID. So uh, explain away. Yeah, well, uh, I just think that it's something that both conferences should look into. I mean, all the conferences share a lot of teams in this in similar states, and they're all real close to each other. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense that Conference USA is so vastly spread out. I mean, you can go as far west as El Paso, Texas, and as far north as Huntington, West Virginia. And it just doesn't make sense to have these teams so spread out from each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, plus it's not like, you know, the competition is that much of a difference if you do merge them. I mean, do you think it would be better for FAU to face the teams closer to them competition-wise? Or what are you thinking there? Uh, competition-wise, it doesn't change things too much because with the with the alignment that I had it set up as we would still face all the same teams that are currently in our division, they would just not be in our division anymore. Besides FIU, of course. So the the new one it would be uh, FAU, FIU, then uh, South Alabama, uh, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and uh, Coastal Carolina, and all those are within 700 miles of each other. Yeah, I mean, that's better than going, you know, 1,500 miles out west to El Paso for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, do you think it's feasible for this to happen? I mean, you know, we, we you know, a lot of athletic programs, especially FAU, 
I think they just lost a million dollars from losing this Minnesota game. Who knows if they make that money up, but still, they're going to be losing money in a lot of other places as well. Do you think it's feasible that these decisions get made really quickly here? Um, with college athletics, I don't think they'll be made quickly. I, I think it's something that they definitely need to look into. Uh, I just I just don't know how fast they can actually go about doing it, but it is something that should be done, especially yeah. at the group of five level. Because, I mean, it's not like we have huge built-in rivalries with schools for 20, 30, 40 years, like Power Five programs. So I think it's something that the G5 really needs to consider. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I, I look at FAU too. I think they, they would welcome new competition. I think one of the things that they struggle with is getting fans in the stands. And, you know, when you have teams that are kind of far away, uh, you know, it's kind of harder to build a rivalry. But like you were saying, you get a team in coming from Alabama. You get in teams coming from Georgia. Those are a lot closer and could build a little bit more tension between these teams. Yeah, that was one thing that I brought up in the article. It's like, I mean, how many people around here probably have friends that go to school in Georgia or in South Carolina, and they're just a lot closer. And when those people graduate, they all come down here for work because there's so many opportunities down here. And people down here go to Atlanta area, so you're close to the Georgia schools, so you can go and see your team play on the road, and everybody can travel to each other, and it's all just a lot closer and makes it more friendly for the fans. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, too, you know, even FAU students, as their students, you know, a bunch of them took a bus up to UCF. So, you know, Atlanta's obviously farther than that, but FAU fans will travel if, if it's within reasonable distance. Yeah, I definitely think so, too. They just, I mean, the closest division opponent right now is Charlotte, which is, I want to say it was like 698 miles when I looked it up. And uh, the next closest, or with the new division, our furthest one would be South Alabama, which is in Mobile, which I think it was like 692 miles. So even our furthest new division opponent would be closer than our closest one now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I have to ask you, too, about FAU recruiting. You know, they, they've done a really incredible job here, um, obviously, with the official slash unofficial recruitment of uh, Shador Sanders, at quarterback. Uh, we've seen that. They've gotten a bunch of guys on the D side. Um, Leroy is coming back as well, which was a huge deal. Um, do you think FAU here, uh, you know, with Willie Taggart, what are your opinions on how they've been uh, recruiting so far? I mean, it's, it's honestly unbelievable what he's been able to do with recruiting. And I, I think the Schmidt Center has a lot to do with it. I also think like the current climate with things political wise, having an African-American head coach is also a huge, huge thing, in my opinion. And I mean, Taggart already had a great track record of recruiting before at his other stops. And I think now he can just sell FAU and I can I can see him selling it as a place where people want to be and come and start something new. Like uh, I heard Deion Sanders the other day on part of my take and he was talking about how he went to Florida State because it was something new, something no one had ever done. And he wanted to build that into something big. And he was talking about how his son has that same kind of mindset and that's why he wanted to go to FAU, to just start his own thing. I mean, that's awesome. That's what you want to hear as, a, as an FAU Owl fan. Um, how do you think they do this year, though? I mean, we already know Minnesota, we're not playing them. I think Stony Brook's out. USF is questionable because everyone's saying there's going to be only in-conference games. But there's also been some speculating that since USF is in the state, they'll still play that game. Uh, have you heard anything about FAU opponents or how this season's going to work for them? Uh, I've not heard anything yet, but I'm, I'm just hoping that 
they get to play the Georgia Southern game, which is supposed to be September 19th, which would be their season opener now. So I would love to see that game, and I would love to see the USF game. But if it's just conference opponents, I'm I'm totally fine with that too. I just want some football in this year. I think logistically too, like you said, like in that article, is it's like the closer the, the opponents, it's like it, what's the difference going to be if you know you're going to play Georgia Southern or South Alabama. So why can't we go and play USF or and keep those out of conference games? It logistically it it makes sense because you're you're mm-hmm. closer. And if you're going to go play in conference, merge those two together, it makes sense to keep those out of conference games like USF, which will draw a lot of a lot of attention because it's in state. Have a chance for a new rivalry, and I, I completely agree. And I think the the schools are going to take into consideration. It's going to take uh, some time, I think, and they're going to push back the season a little bit to try to figure some things out, but. It all makes sense, and I really think that they should take everything into into thought and and really push forward with the idea of keeping uh, the USF game on the schedule. Yeah, I think so too. I know, like some of the the Big Ten, their main thing was they wanted to be able to have control over the testing requirements, and so that everybody in their conference was on the same page when it came to testing. And so I think they were kind of afraid, like, hey, if we allow them to play out in conference games, will those teams have the same requirements as us when it comes to testing. But to me, you should be able to find a way that it can be uniform across the board in Division One athletics. But when there's no like set commissioner in charge of the NCAA, it's kind of hard to really do that. But uh, to me, these schools should be able to come together and find a way to do that to ensure that they don't lose out on millions of dollars. Well, I have a question too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in sports media high up that, it almost seems like they don't want college football to happen. They've kind of, they've gone for the NBA, they've gone for the NHL, they've gone for baseball, for the NFL, and all of them have elected to play. So now they've kind of moved on to college football saying, oh, it's not safe. Even though you kind of look at the numbers, you say, well, college kids probably at the least amount of risk, but also you can look at it and say, well, college kids are also the most irresponsible as well. You know, are they even going to follow the rules that they're given um, how do you think that's going to work? Do you actually think we're going to see college football this year? Um, if you had asked me probably like two months ago or so, my answer would be completely different. Uh, I, at that point, I was probably around 80, 90 percent sure that we were going to have a season. I'm a little less sure now. I still think it'll happen. It just might not be what we're used to. But to me, any games is better than no games. And it, I think all you can do is really just trust your players that they'll do the right thing. And I mean, a lot of these kids, they want to make it to the next level and they know that their only chance is to play and follow the rules. And obviously you have some that don't do that, but I mean, there's already some that don't follow the rules anyways, as if it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, oh shit, I forgot my question. I'll cut this out. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, that's right. I was going to say, uh, you know, you look at the, the general landscape of college football this year, we could just talk about all the big teams now. Who are you looking at? You know, SEC, Big Ten. Who do you think is coming out of these conferences this year? Um, the SEC is going to be the one that I'm most interested in watching because LSU lost so much on that team from last year, but they still have an insane amount of talent. Uh, Alabama will always be up there. Auburn, Georgia. Uh, so to me, the SEC will be probably the most wide open. Uh, for the Big Ten, I think Ohio State, this is a team to be just – Justin Fields is like a cheat code at quarterback. And then obviously Clemson and the ACC, I don't think anybody will give them any challenge at all. Notre Dame might be a little interesting if they let them 
join the conference for the season. And then the Big 12, I would probably still say Oklahoma. And then the Pac-12, I don't, I don't know as much about the Pac-12, but I, I'd probably lean Oregon, even though they lost Herbert. Uh, I'd, I'd probably say they had the best shot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the Pac-12 is always interesting to me because it's such a different brand of football over there. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of more NFL-like because they focus heavily defensively. Um, but offensively, they always lack, and that's why they really can't move on sometimes in those playoffs. Do you think this year, though, we're going to see an expanded playoff because of these different formats? Uh, I really hope so. But again, I, I don't know if I trust the NCAA to do the right thing. I've always been a huge fan of, in my opinion, it should be a 16-team playoff where you should have uh, the conference champion from every conference should get a spot in the playoff, and then you can have six at-large teams after that. But that takes the NCAA actually doing the right thing, which we all know they don't do that. So, Yeah, well, another thing, too, you know, there's been a lot of rumors that spring ball might be an option, even though when you really look at it logistically, that's right around when the combine is, when the draft is. Players like Trevor Lawrence, they're just going to opt out of the season mm-hmm. if they play spring. I feel like if fall doesn't happen, they just should forget about spring and wait till next year. Are you kind of on the same page there? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that because – I mean, you also got to think that if you put all the fall sports into spring and winter sports, you'd have basketball, hockey, baseball, softball, football, soccer, volleyball, everything going at the exact same time. I mean, that's that's not going to happen. There's only so many fields that people can use, so many courts that can be used. Athletic directors, assistant athletic directors, the SID people, they'll be so stretched thin that there's no way that they can logistically do all those things at the same time yeah i mean i agree so i mean the hope is we obviously see fau football this year we want to see this team pan out uh one last question for you here i know there's been some concerns about taggart and the x's and o's robeson you know you've all, you actually just wrote an article about robeson being in the uh in the rankings for top quarter i forget what the award's called uh the uh well what is it called uh the davy o'brien and then also the uh, maxwell award yeah, so do you think the change in systems, again for him, I think this is his third time changing systems, do you think he adjusts quicker now that he had a successful season last year? How do you think it goes for him? Uh, I, I think Robson will be perfectly fine. I mean, he's already shown what he's capable of doing. I don't think Taggart will mess with him too much because, I mean, Taggart already knows that he's a successful quarterback, and this is the first time that Taggart's gone somewhere where it wasn't a complete rebuild for him. So he's walking into a good situation already. And I, I think he'll, he'll lean on uh, Clint Trickett to kind of work with Robinson, work with the offense. And I know uh, Trickett and uh, Drew Maringer are the co-offensive coordinators, and I definitely think they'll be able to figure something out. But I've, I've heard that Taggart will probably be the one calling the plays. Uh, he's done that everywhere else. So wow. I'm not sure if he'll actually do that, but that's kind of the rumblings I'd heard. And, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what he does, but – I have faith in Robinson to to continue doing what he did, what he built on from last season. Uh, it'll be interesting because he's losing four of his five top receiving targets. I mean, obviously, you guys have talked before about the transfers coming in, so I, I think they'll be fine. But it'll just be it'll be hard to see if they can get into a rhythm after all this time off. But I have faith in him. Yeah. Hey, we'll see. And. Uh... If you want to go check out Jensen's articles, go to the what, – what's the website? It's universitypress.com or is it universitypressfau.com? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, upressonline.com. Okay, yeah. So look up Jensen Jennings, guys. He always covers FAU football. 
the best. He's the sports editor of FA of, of the University Press at Florida Atlantic University. We'll have you on again soon, and uh, thanks for coming on, Jensen. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Peace. All right. See you guys. All right, Steve. So that was a pretty good conversation there with Jensen Jennings. Uh, he gave us a lot there. And, uh, you know, what are your opinions? I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but, you know, hearing him talk about it, do you think it's feasible? Do you think, would you want to see this merger happen? Yeah, I mean, as it keeps going on, and I think about it every day about how can we get college football? How can we get the season rolling? What are the logistics? And it makes sense, and, and teams are going to be losing a lot of money. We already saw Wisconsin. They pulled, they rolled out numbers saying how they lost. I think it, I, it was I think it was around $10 million or something like that if, without their non-conference games. And if they don't have conference games, it, it increases to something. It skyrockets. So for FAU, I think it makes sense to get those teams into their – and merge for one year, experiment a little bit, see – and it adds the element of, hey, here's more competition for, for FAU itself. Can they go and play, you know, Georgia Southern, who they already have on the schedule? It adds App State to the mix in that conference, uh, Texas State, some some different kind of teams there and that you don't see every year. So I really think that the college football is going to be looking at this in other aspects and other smaller conferences, and maybe FAU and um, Conference USA can lead the way here for other schools to follow suit. But I think this is the way they have to go if they want to get a season in, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And uh, I know CJ, he was supposed to be on that call with us, but he uh, he had to step away for a second. I think we've covered everything on the pod today. Uh, we, we will be back probably Thursday or Friday. I'm going to have uh, one of my friends, Adam Kupferman, on uh, to talk about hockey with us. We, we talked about the qualifying rounds last week, uh, but now we'll get into the uh, top four seeds in each conference this week. And uh, since he's a Lightning fan, you're a Lightning fan. Uh, I hate them, but it should be a, uh, a pretty fun pod either way. And uh, so we'll have that for you guys on Thursday or Friday, an NHL playoff preview once again. We talked about NBA today. We talked about the return of baseball. Talked a lot about college football, the Premier League, Champions League. Uh, so I think we had a pretty good pod today. We'll be back Thursday, Friday. Listen to us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, a bunch of other platforms as well. Uh, for Steve Cashin and CJ Yuri, uh, I'm Jacob Brown, and we will see you next time.